like literal glue that holds together any team, any team under a manager. It's called fairness. Everything has to be fair. And the only way you can ensure fairness is if you're transparent. This is Bev and I'll be the host of People at Work today. People at Work is brought to you by Jostle, the creator of an employee intranet. And we're working hard to make work life simpler for people at work by helping them connect to culture, to the things that they need to do their work, and of course, the people that they work with. And at the same time, we're thinking about who are the people out there that are actually thinking about what impacts people at work. And that's why we have this podcast where we talk to all sorts of people from around the globe who are leading the charge in changing the experience that people have at work. So I'm delighted today to welcome our guest, Ralph Peterson. Uh, Ralph has over 20 years of management experience, is a retired U.S. Marine, an Ironman, and best-selling author. So welcome, Ralph. It's wonderful to have you with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, today we're going to talk about the future of leadership and what both managers and employees can expect as information becomes easier and easier to access. And frankly, transparency is becoming one of the biggest challenges that all of us are facing. So I'm really interested to hear your take on this, especially in light of um, the circumstances in which we all find ourselves around the globe and how leadership both good and bad has emerged uh, over this time. So before we get into that, I'd love for you to give us a quick intro to uh, what drives you and the passions that have led you to uh, be with us today throughout your career. Uh, thank you so much, I would love to. I, I think it's always fun and interesting to learn about people's origin story. How did you get to whatever it is you're doing? And just to be clear, I am a management trainer. So I work with organizations, helping them transform super workers into supervisors and to even go even further to how do you build effective management teams? What does it look like? What should you be doing? What shouldn't you be doing? What should you be looking out for, not looking out for? And it's more than just soft skills. Management takes a whole lot of, a whole lot of different skills from soft skills to being able to talk to people all the way up to how to properly manage, how to properly evaluate, how to properly motivate. Like it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And I started this actually in housekeeping of all places where I, I took a job as a, as a housekeeping manager for this big management company. And I got I, my first promotion was I had to find another housekeeping manager. I had to promote somebody to be a housekeeping manager. Of course, all I worked with was housekeepers. And so they were like, yeah, you got to train one of the housekeepers to be a manager. Well, that, that's a challenge like how do you because most people come to housekeeping management like there's not very many schools that goes you know hey we're going to teach you how to be a housekeeping manager there's management schools but not for housekeeping and so it's like one of those industries where you really have to learn how to promote from within and train and i had i had the biggest trouble at first trying to figure out how to take these super workers and transfer them into supervisors. And it's, and it's become one of my biggest passions. I just absolutely love helping people go from, I had this one, I had this one woman that I met was a housekeeper and her name was Myra. And when I first met her, she was probably one of, at the time, probably one of the best workers I ever met. Like the type of person who you never had to check up in on, you know, you, you gave her her task and she just went and did it. And I remember asking her if she ever thought about being in charge. 
And I remember how she talked to me about how she never thought about it. She didn't think it was for her. But the whole time she talked to me, she kept working. She never stopped working to answer my questions, which was odd because you may have this experience. When your boss comes and wants to talk to you for a minute, what do you do? You stop working. You sit down and oh, my boss, this is a good reason to take a break. I'm going to sit down and chit-chat. She never stopped working, and that really was, had an impact on me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to work with this lady. I'm going to get her to be in charge. And it didn't take very long where we were, you know, she was a good worker. She was very smart and articulate. And, you know, she had the ambition and the desire to get there. And I remember maybe, maybe 18 months, maybe two years later, she sent me a postcard and it was a postcard of her house. It was a trailer house uh, with her, with her husband, her dog and her baby infant son. And it was a thank you card saying that she would have never, had she not met me, her, she said, she would never have been a homeowner because when she met me, she was a $7 an hour housekeeper. And in you know, under two years, she became a $35,000 manager, right? Like it, that's a huge transformation. And once she sent me that card and I saw that I, got, I was able to help her in that way, I mean, I was hooked. I'm hooked, I'm hooked, I'm hooked. Well, I can certainly see the passion coming through in how yeah, you, you, you're, you're speaking about this. And what's interesting is that it's the outcomes that drive you, right? It's taking all of those small steps to seeing the outcome of um, the lady that you just shared the story about is, is very rewarding. Before we get into the main topic of, of conversation here today, I'd, I'd love to dig a little bit into your very interesting background because you've obviously come up through a management career path, but with a really diverse background as a U.S. Marine, which I'm sure has given you some very interesting insights, as well as being an Ironman athlete is pretty, pretty <laughs> grueling, right? So I'm sure that there's some rigor and discipline and drive that is overlapped into your management uh, yeah. consulting. So maybe just because I think our audience is going to be interested in this too, like how did those very different life experiences actually shape your opinion on what leaders should be like. Tell us about that. Yeah, I got to tell you that uh, the biggest takeaway, and I think that, I think if it it probably happens in any organization, though in the Marine Corps, I think it's a unique enough place where it's not that it happens, well, maybe it happens more often, but you're you're certainly more um, open to seeing it. The Marine Corps exposed me to something I had never seen, never in my whole life. And that is men who were better than everybody else. And I don't mean they were faster. I don't mean that they were smarter. I mean, they required of themselves to be better than everyone else. They didn't sleep in. They didn't oversleep. They were not late. They didn't back talk. They didn't curse. They didn't, you know, it, it, again, they weren't the first to win the race. They weren't the, the, the best shooters. They were not the strongest, but they were, they, it was the first, like I had this, this one guy in my head first, his name was first Sergeant Wright. He was probably the first man I ever met where I was like, I want to be him. Like, you know, like there's a, that example that I want to be that guy. That guy is amazing. Like I would just love for five minutes to be in his skin. He must feel amazing all the time because he was so fired up. He was so in control of himself that you couldn't phase him. You, I mean, it just, 
And I saw him in all kinds of scenarios and again and again, never faltered, never overslept, never let himself off the hook, never to, you know, never, he always had such high standards. And I think that on the other side, I'll say on the other side, I've seen the worst of people in the Marine Corps. I mean, you, you get the worst people in the Marine Corps as well, but I see the worst of people going to the grocery store. Like you can run into bad people anywhere. They're everywhere. People who are sleeping and people who are lazy, people who don't care about others, people who are, you know, uh, un, unkempt, people who don't have any, take any pride in their appearance, you know, that whole thing. They're everywhere. To see someone who has it together intentionally, who never lets it down, like it's just, I am the, going to be the adult in the room and I don't care how many more adults there are in the room, I'm still going to be the adult in the room. Like that's impressive. It's impressive. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I got in the Marine Corps was I had a nice opportunity of meeting a few people like that. And every time I was just like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. And now I hope to be that person for others. I, I recognize that it is important. Let me just talk about the Ironman for a quick second. It is important to be the type of person who, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. Mean what you say, finish what you start, be that type of person. And that is how I ran an Ironman. It's how I ran my second Ironman, right? It's because I said, I told, once I spoke it out loud, I'm gonna run an Ironman. I am not the type of person who's gonna tell you I'm gonna do something and I don't do it. I, I could be that person, you know, who holds me accountable, me. I could totally let myself off the hook. I'd be like, ah, eh. you know, but it's raining today. You know, I'm not going to train in the rain. I mean, it's snowing. I mean, it's Saturday. I mean, it, what, nobody works out on Saturdays. I mean, it's beautiful out here. You know, my friends are all going to the lake. I can't be, you know. If I say I'm going to do it, I do it. And that is, I think, one of the, I think it's one of the, one of the signs of adulthood. I think it's one of my best attributes. I think that's only reason I've was even, I'm going to run 40 miles tomorrow, 40. I ran 32 last week. I'm training for a hundred mile race. 40 miles seems like an awful long day. And a long time ago, not that long ago, I got to tell you, there might've been a time in my life where I would have said, hey, I'm going to run 26 miles tomorrow. And then didn't really believe it myself. Now I am the type of person that I confidently tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to run 40 miles tomorrow. Cause I have no doubt in my mind I can, because I'm never going to stop until the 40 miles are up. Like, that's the type of person I now am. And it's because of the people I was exposed to in the Marine Corps. And I think that is, by the way, how you make a good leader. I think it's all centrical, circular. Yeah. So something I'd like to, to pull on there is um, you talked about do what you say. And that's obviously clear from some of your experiences in you know both the Marine Corps as well as in your athletic pursuits. But how have you then extrapolated that into uh, this belief that transparency is um, one of the key attributes um, or manifestations of good leaders? Like, what does that have to do with leadership? Well, I tell you, there are times when I think transparency is going to be the death of leadership <laughs> because I'm spending a lot more of my time explaining myself than I am getting anything done. And that can be very detrimental, especially if you're working with somebody whose intent is to delay the work as opposed to get the work done 
and they're all full of questions and I need to understand every nook and cranny of it. I can see that end of it. At the other side of it, I am also well aware, you know, in the Marine Corps, again, I don't want to try to make this whole Marine Corps podcast, but in the Marine Corps, I fell under this too, where I would get a piece of information. Somebody would say, hey, we're having a meeting at the chow hall at one o'clock and make sure everybody's there. So I'd go tell my team, hey, we're going to meet at the barracks at 12 o'clock. And, you know, the meeting's at one, we're going to meet at 12. And then my squad leader would say, to his team, hey, we're going to meet at the water fountain at 11.30. And so everybody's backing up and they're meeting at a different place. Now, if any one of us gets killed in combat, nobody knows what the mission is to get to the chow hall by one. And so you have to learn how to decentralize command. You have to be able to come. Everybody needs to know what the overall mission is. So that's where that transparency starts. Like just let everybody know from the, the most in senior, most important to the, the lowest and least important, Everybody knows what the mission is. So we can get it done regardless of what happens throughout. Throughout, So I think that's where it begins with, mm -hmm. with transparency. So do you think that it's a, it centers on democratizing access to information then? Is that the real problem? No. And again, I don't know that it's a, it's a problem per se. I think that, uh, I don't know. I think transparency is, it's a good thing. It's a good thing unless you're talking about transparency of your intellectual data, you know, your competitive edge. It's not always good to give away your competitive edge because then somebody else will just mimic your competitive edge. All of a sudden you no longer have one, you know, so there is some of that as well. I think here's why transparency is so super important in leadership because the glue, the literal glue that holds together any team, any team under a manager, it's called fairness. Everything has to be fair. And if the only way you can ensure fairness is if you're transparent, everybody has to see what everybody else is doing in order for them to determine whether or not it's fair. And we run into this a lot when we're short staffed. We're, we're, we're supposed to have five people and two people call outs. So we only have three. I could say to the whole team, go, Hey, listen, two people called out. So we're all going to have to pitch in and help out. And this is how we're going to do it. You're going to take this little extra, you're going to take this little extra, and you're going to take this little extra. If those little extras are not even, somebody's going to go, hey, why do they get that? That's not, I'm doing more than they are. Mm -hmm. You know what that is? That's not fair. And it's important that it's fair. That's the only, because any employee who cares about their job, and most employees do, most employees, everybody I know wants to do a good work, could do a good work, could do, do a good job. They just simply, they, they'll take on extra work. Listen, I'll work twice as hard for twice as long and I won't even charge you anymore for it. But you gotta make sure they're doing that too. They're, I'm working with them. They, they've gotta do the same amount of work and the same amount of time as I am then. That's only fair. That's all we want. We want fairness. That's why I think transparency is so important. So that's an interesting um, take on it. I haven't thought about um fairness being a contributor to transparency before. So maybe I'll, I'll ask you this question. Given that fairness can be a, f a subjective um, measure, um, how do we help leaders ensure that they are actually being fair and are not being swayed or biased um, in their treatment of people? Yeah, and let's be honest, there are some instances where you cannot be fair. You simply can't. There's sometimes that there's there might be a different skill level per job. 
And so one person might have to do more because their skill level is higher and the job may require, you know, so that you might even have a, a, a different varying degree of education or skill set where you're putting two people in the same room, assumably towards the same mission, but one person's doing less than the other person, right? Then, then it's very hard to say it's fair. The only way you can kind of say it's fair then is if the person who has the more skill probably gets paid more, right? And so they're paid higher. And then you have the reverse problem where if that person who gets paid less is able to do the same job as the person who gets paid more, now it's no longer fair to that person that they're not getting paid so much. Right? Yeah. So yeah. They don't want them to lose money, but they want to make more money, right? Your question is so super relevant though. It's so super valid because I just had this situation where we had one of our employees was going to get written up for insubordination. There were two employees who started to fight with each other and they started to yell and it just got louder and louder and louder. And so we're going to write up both employees for causing a ruckus. And as we do, one of the employees says, this is, you know, BS because it's always coming down on me and it's always my fault. And this one's the favorite one. And I had to stop everybody. I go, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. You just said a magic word. Let me get, dive into this. What I really, you know, one of the, one great thing managers never quite realize is that when people are complaining, it's usually valid, right? They might couch it in sarcasm. They might couch it in, they're always complaining about something. They might, you know what I mean? They may, it may be added onto something, but it's always valid. There's always something in there that's valid. And as soon as she said the word favoritism, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Does the manager have a favorite staff member? Here's the answer. Without even knowing, I'll tell you the answer is yes. We have favorites. We do, and we should have favorites. You know how it's easy it is to have a favorite? You have one employee who is always a little early. They are always very cordial. They are always willing to help out, do a little more. They're always super polite when you say, hey, will you mind doing this? Like, no, I got you to worry about it. Love her, love her. As opposed to the other girl, who is always, no, she's not late, but she's always just on time. She's always got an attitude, you know, not outwardly, but you can just see she's not someone to have a conversation with. She's not as pleasant. And every time I'm scared to ask her to do a little lecture because she has that, you know, that look and the roll, eye roll and all this. And so she's not that pleasant. She's not my favorite. She's not my go-to. And so what happens is every time there's a little extra work to be done, I go to my favorite. I ask her, I'm always like, hey, do you mind if you just do a little bit more for me? She's like, yeah, I don't care, no problem. She knows, your favorite knows, that the reason you're always asking her and not asking the other one is because the other one is difficult to deal with. So the favorite one's being like, you know what, I've got you, no problem, but at a cost. We're gonna do a little trade-off now. It's nonverbal. We're both gonna understand it. We're not gonna say it out loud, but we're both gonna understand it. You're gonna get, cut me a little slack. I might be a little late tomorrow. And you know what you're going to do? Nothing. You're going to be okay with me being a little late because I'm your go-to. You know, I always got your back. So if I'm late, don't worry. But if I got to leave a little early, don't give me a hard time because I'm always gotten your back. And that's the relationship. The relationship is I'm always going to ask you to do a little more if I need a little more. And if you need a little more time or something, no problem. I'll let you have it. Now, my difficult employee, my difficult employee, I don't ask her to do anything. But if she's one minute late, I'm writing her up. I'm talking to her. I'm looking at my watch when she walks in. Really? You can't get here one more minute earlier to be on time? Seriously? And what does that person see? That person sees this other person late 10 minutes and you never having a conversation. I never see you reaching for your watch. 
hmm, must be something going on there. She must be your favorite. You know why you're yelling at me? Because you're picking on me because you don't even like me. You like her. And it's true. But it's not fair. Do you understand? It's not fair. You've got, and managers, we all fall into the trap because we love this employee so much. You can't do it. Have your favorites, but they have to. It's like, it's like employing a family member. It's like employing a family member. If my brother came to work with me, he would hate my guts. I know he would because I would have to, on purpose, I would treat him verbally worse than I treat everybody. I would not let, ever let him leave early. I would never let him come in late. And if he ever was, I would publicly say it. You can't be late. What's the matter? Because otherwise, I'm favoring my brother. And that's not fair. So very valid example. Thank you. So where does this leave leaders and managers in? Because some of this is just human nature, right? It's, it's just natural to respond and behave that way. So how do we help people who are in this position to be more fair? And hopefully that leads to a greater um, manifestation of transparency within teams at work today. A million percent. So you have to recover from this, right? As a manager, you have to recover from this. You found yourself in a situation where you definitely have a favorite and you've been letting them get away with some stuff and you have someone who is not your favorite and you've not been letting them get away with stuff. You've got to rectify this, especially since you've been called on it, right? So now what do you have to do? You have to look in the mirror and go, okay, this was my fault. I shouldn't have let this happen. You go to one employee and you go, hey, listen, you're absolutely right. I, I am treating you unfairly. I am letting her get away with more than I'm letting you get away with. I apologize. I didn't mean for that to happen. It won't happen anymore. So I definitely apologize. And you're going to go to your favorite and you're going to go, hey, listen, sorry about all this. I understand. I put you in a bad way. I put me in a bad way. You can't be late anymore. I can't let that happen. Your, your favorite employee, you know what they might say? They might say, well, then I'm not going to do all the extra work for you. I understand what you're saying. I totally get it. I understand. I will ask her to do more. I won't, I won't rely on you all the time. That's not fair to you either. I will start relying, even though I don't like it because she has the little resting bee face over there. I will, I'll still go and address it. I'll still, I'll, I'll, I understand it's not fair. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to you. It's my fault. So you got to come back from it. So first you got to recognize it. As soon as somebody says, that's not fair, stop everything and just take an internal look. Are you not being fair? And understand that that's the only currency that our employees deal in. That's all they deal in. They deal in the currency of fairness. All, everything else, the paychecks are the same. If I work 40 hours and you work 40 hours and make the same money, I'll make the same money. Mm-hmm. If I have more education and more skill and my job's technically more technical, higher than I get more pay than you do, that's okay. That's fair. That's fair. But if I'm doing more and, not, and you're getting the same amount as I am, right, that's not fair. So fairness is the underlying glue that holds all teams together or destroys them or destroys them. Yeah, 100%. And our current situation around anti-racism that has been front and center for many weeks now for all of us, I would hope, that is largely grounded uh, in the workplace around fairness too, right? It's like... It's fairness at every level. It's fairness at every level. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, what I'm, I'm hearing from you is, is that leaders must start with themselves 
and really have an understanding about what fairness is and they must have the courage to act on that they must have the courage to actually um, make good on their own word around um, fairness because it's not just saying it it's actually doing a lot to bring it to life right yeah yeah and and so i just want to make sure that i'm to be clear i'm not saying that managers can leave tall buildings in a single bound what i just explained to you the scenario i just played out for you is a hard one to even see like it's easy for me to explain now in retrospect but it's a hard thing to even learn to even notice that you're it, it's hard to even notice that you have a favorite or what's wrong with having a favorite What's the big deal about having a favorite, right? Because there really isn't a big deal. I mean, there are people you're gonna gravitate and get along with more than other people. It's not a big deal. It's how you treat them differently that's the big deal, right? That's where it comes into problems. And managers, most of the managers that I've worked with, none of us want to get it wrong, but all of us get something wrong. All of us, you know, we get an attitude. Sometimes we're not having the best day. Sometimes we're, we think we're completely right. And even though we're not, we don't see it or we don't see it then. And we might see it, you know, come next weekend. We're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Right? Like <laughs> three weeks later. <laughs> so it, it's tough. I, I got to say that a, a common, I think a very common misconception is that managers have the, uh, ability to affect all kinds of change. And, and I think managers have the responsibility more than the ability. I have the responsibility of getting you to do your job. I don't have the ability to make you do it, right? Like I can't just force your hands into doing whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing. You know, it's, I might have the responsibility, but I don't have the ability to make you do it. And so we have to temper all our, you know, our expectations of managers. I'll tell you one misconception I believe a complete misconception is, so a lot of people will tell you that 90% or 80% of all staff quit their boss, not the company they work for. I think that is the biggest lie ever. I don't buy it for one second. Now, let me couch this in, I've been managing frontline staff for 20 years and people have quit because of me, absolutely. And when they quit because of me, it's not because I stole money from them. It's not because I was uh, racially insensitive. It's not because I you know, did something illegal. Every time somebody has quit on me, it's because I had to have a difficult conversation with them when they were being difficult. I mean, as stupid as stop taking breaks, you've had your break. I know you smoke. I, I appreciate that you need a cigarette 18 times a day. We only have three breaks a day. I'm going to have to write you up if you do it again. That's the rule. I didn't make the rule. You're in a union. The union says you get, you get three breaks, you get three breaks. Not fair to everybody else, not fair to the job. While you, SOB, this, that, boom, they quit. I'm the worst boss ever. You know, 80% of people quit because of their boss. No, 80% of the people quit because they don't want to work there anymore. I'm not saying that there aren't bosses that are bad and that you, nobody can work for, but they're few and far between. So... What I'm curious about is bringing this back to what we started talking about around um, access to information and how that leads to transparency. So maybe we can touch on for a couple minutes just what your thoughts are on how does fairness relate to access to information? Well, I don't know. It's such a broad question. 
Um, the good thing about transparency is that you have at your fingertips your ability to learn and do anything so you can make good decisions. You want to make good decisions. I've just been thinking about reading Peter Drucker's, like, you know, the, the grandfather of management study, management theory. And he does this really great job of talking about what it's like to work with knowledge workers. So people, we're in a knowledge working age where we don't have laborers anymore. You don't just go, you know, move this and move that. People literally can take their skills with them anywhere. And what that does for us in an organization is it makes it so that you can't treat your employees like laborers. They're now partners or they're associates because they can get up and leave at any time. Could you imagine if none of your employees have to work for you anymore? Imagine if they don't need the money. Imagine if they have every, they know everything they need to know to go work somewhere else. Imagine if they don't need your machine. Imagine if they don't need your direction to get a job, to get the job done. They now learned it. They know how to do this job without you. Now they're a knowledge worker. Imagine if all of your staff were volunteers. See, now we're getting to somewhere. If you start treating your staff, even though they get a paycheck, like they are volunteers, you're going to have to ask yourself, what do volunteers want? Why do people volunteer? Because now we're going to get into the whole idea of transparency. Because volunteers want a, a few things. The main thing they want to do is they want to affect change. They want to support somebody else's mission. Mm -hmm. So they need to know what your mission is. It has to be very clear what your mission is. Our mission is to care for those who don't have families and they're at a certain age where they can no longer do the nice things for themselves. Bathe, clean up, cook, prepare good meals. Right. My mission is I want to work for an organization that supports those kind of people. Perfect. That's number one. So we want to be able to work for somebody who we support their mission. That's, that's a volunteer. The second thing a volunteer wants is they want to have an impact. I want to make a difference. I want to affect change, which leads to the final thing all volunteers want. And that is they want to see the results. And that's the transparency part. Imagine that. Imagine if you giving your employee a paycheck is just a side, it's just a side. It's on the side. It's not the main thing you're giving them. The main thing you're giving them is a mission they can support and be behind. They're affecting change and they can see the results of it. Because you showed up this week, we were able to do this and this. Well, that's a very interesting perspective around how to activate your employees if you approach them with a, a volunteer mindset that's a, a very powerful way to um, align employees behind the outcomes that you're seeking as a leader and I mean all the things that you mentioned there change impact um, results those are all the things that we hope that our employees will care about as much as we as leaders do so uh, we as leaders have to take the steps to be fair and to share information and to be transparent in our behavior and in our words. I've just really enjoyed hearing some really unique perspectives on this around leadership. And what I would ask for you to tell us is what's the number one or, or two things that uh, people could take away with them today around how to embrace this idea that we need to be more transparent? I would actually, let me, let me turn it on its head a little bit because Please. There's two sides to this. There is 
the side that we've been kind of focusing on, which is management focused, right? We're looking at the manager, we're asking the manager to be more transparent. We're asking you to share more, to be more fair, to be more reasonable, to give more. Let's turn it back on the staff now. What if it was the staff's responsibility, the staff's job to be more responsible? What if it was their responsibility to be more transparent? What if it was their responsibility to give more? I have a handful of things that I think puts people, especially new managers, behind the eight ball a little bit, where they have some assumptions. You ever heard the expression, you should praise publicly and reprimand privately? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty common. Like we, we almost grow up with that vernacular, that belief, that's how we want to be treated anyway. We want, if our boss needs to talk to us about something that is really not pleasant, don't embarrass me, right? Let's bring it into a back room. And on the other side, if I've done something really great, please feel free to let everybody know how fantastic I was on Saturday, right? That's, that's, that's what we want to have. In management, it's not always the case. In management, sometimes you have to be willing to reprimand publicly and praise privately. And let me take the praise privately first because it's the easiest to muster over. If you have a favorite, you're going to end up praising them an awful lot more publicly and it just becomes obnoxious and everyone's going to see like, oh, that's clearly the favorite. So it's not always beneficial to praise publicly. If you can just imagine, I have managers sometimes I'll walk in, be walking with a new manager like, oh, this is my favorite staff member. There's 18 other staff members there. And so although, although this one staff member is like, oh, I'm the favorite, 18 others are like, what the heck is that all about? Right? So it's not always the best. But the hardest concept to get around is the idea of reprimanding publicly. You imagine having to have a stern, tough conversation with an employee in front of everybody else. It's degrading, it's embarrassing, and it shouldn't happen. But it's the only way to be an effective manager in a lot of instances. And the reason is this. Let's just take an example of uh, somebody who's always late. If we're always supposed to be starting at 7 and it takes the whole team to start at 7 in order for us to get busy and get going, and one person is late 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, consistently all the time, what happens to the team is the team has to pick up that slack because they still have to start at seven. So they just have to do extra work until that person comes. But nobody on that team has the responsibility of speaking up to that staff member. And so instead, all they do is they badmouth that staff member while the staff member's not there. And as soon as they show up, everybody shuts up. And as soon as they're gone, they start talking about them again. As the manager, it's my job to recognize that that staff member is having a negative impact on all the staff. Now I can do one of two things. I can pull that person aside privately in a hushed room and a hushed tone and say, hey, you gotta be here on time. You're holding everybody back and it's not good for anybody. You can do that. Sometimes that even works. And it's probably where you should start. But I've had too many instances where I would have that conversation privately with somebody only to learn later that my team never knew I had that conversation with them. And therefore, my team thought I was a terrible manager. They're like, you know, if that was me, Ralph would have talked to me. I can't believe Ralph hasn't talked to him. I can't believe this is still happening and it's her. I can't believe she's always late. Ralph's never said anything. I wonder if there's something going on between them. You see where it goes? All of a sudden. So I have learned that I have to not yell it out. I'm not screaming or yelling. But I am very big on just having, I, w- I am the one who looks at my watch. Great indicator. When you're late, I just look at my watch in front of everybody. Uh, we start at seven around here. 
right? It's not a chewing out at all. It's a reminder. See, everybody now sees. I do it to everybody. That's fair. That's transparency. Everybody sees that I am being equally as harsh on that person as I would be on you. And that part is just as important as that whole transparency part of managers need to be transparent with all the work they're doling out. Managers also need to be transparent with the discipline they were doled out and the corrective attitudes and the corrective measures. That too, that's all I'm trying to say. There's both sides of it. Both sides of it are important. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad that you raised that because I was thinking about the the two-way nature of this and how it really is everyone's responsibility to ensure that fairness is there both with each other um, but in terms of the, the transparency and doing what we say is the the onus is on every single individual to show up and to participate and contribute to the team equally you need to be fair to your team members you need to be fair to your manager as much as the manager needs to be fair to to their team members so um, wow we've packed a lot into a short time here together but we are going to have to wrap it up now um, if anybody would like to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? It's uh, ralphpeterson.com. It's the best place to get a hold of me. And I do one-on-one -on -one coaching all the time. If I've said something that you're like, you know what, I need to talk to that guy, you can. We can Fabulous. talk. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we'll also share a few other contact points uh, for you in the show notes. So folks Great. can find you that way as well. But um, thank you for sharing your ideas and thoughts with us. I know that you're having a really busy time right now with all the things that are going on in the world. <laughs> um, but keep up your training. Uh, good luck with the 40 miles tomorrow. And thank you. Uh, thank you. I hope one day we both get to find ourselves back on the racetrack, wherever we are, with a trail or road race, whatever that looks like. Soon enough. Soon enough, I hope. But until then, maybe we'll see each other on Strava. I like it. Take good care. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care.